0: On this episode of Cannabis Business Minds, we talk about the ins and outs of recruiting outside professionals into the cannabis industry. Finding top-notch talent isn't something that you can just find in Craigslist. It
1: requires due diligence, a stringent assessment of skills, and time. And just like you can't find top talent at your local dive bar, not all recruiters are created equal. Our guest on today's show makes staffing and recruiting sound fun. Jesse and Travis Cox have a tenure of success from helping professionals to search firms to creating over 150 websites. So sit back and enjoy this episode of Cannabis Business Minds. Today we've got the dynamic duo Jesse and Travis Cox from Cannabis Staff Recruiting Agency. Jesse has worked in staffing and recruitment technology in cannabis since 2009. She has created 10 cannabis startups, over 150 cannabis websites and domains, and has held leadership positions. In multiple cannabis startups.
0: Travis has worked in corporate and banking finance since 2006. He's created multiple partnerships in the cannabis industry, worked with multiple national C level executive professionals and search firms, and has an in depth knowledge regarding cannabis compliance and technology. Jesse and Travis, welcome to the show.
2: Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. It's really a pleasure to be interviewed by you guys.
0: Sounds great. No, we're super pumped. Uh, That was such a brief intro for both of you guys. If you don't mind telling us a little bit about Cannabis Staff and what you do, what your offerings are, what type of companies you work with, and give us the overview of your company, that'd be great.
3: Absolutely. Well, we started Cannabis Staff Uh, because there is a large need for executive staffing uh, in the growing cannabis industry and we work with uh, companies to help them find uh, and source talent uh, for executive leadership positions. typically. Uh, We also do, I guess, uh, we work in, I guess, many different industries or all different industries within the cannabis industry. Uh, But uh, we saw that there is a need for uh, high-level people that maybe not uh, have not broken into the cannabis industry yet, but are very interested in, in coming into it and bring a lot of skills that uh, are very widely needed for cannabis businesses these days. So uh, we're very excited about uh, 2017.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> sure. And what type of markets and geographies are you guys in right now? Are you in all the United States yeah, we, regulated markets? Uh, actually,
3: uh, we're in North America, actually. And Canada. And, and, well, yes. North America. <laughs> so, uh, the,
2: a, a lot of people don't think that Canada is part of that, and we're I American. think that you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, we are we're actually just as active in Canada as we are in the United States. And, and I guess I technically, that be separate. I
3: guess technically, I can't say North America because I'm not actually including Mexico in that at all. <laughs> okay. I guess technically, yes, the United States and Canada.
0: Totally, and, and maybe well, America. America. well I mean, can they, which like,
2: continues our office debate. Because 'cause I'm always excluding Canada from being part of North America for some reason in my mind. Oh my god I hope- I'll admit to that.
1: Even I- though it's North
0: <laughs> of America. Yeah. I hope Canadians are not are listening in or not. But I mean, the Canadian market's super thriving. And I imagine that you probably are looking, people are requesting a lot of, you know, top talent up there just because of, A, the medical program 2017, like the adult use actually hopefully happening. So I can see that Canada would be a source of demand. Yes, definitely.
2: Canada was the first to legalized medical marijuana in 2001. So what's really interesting is that, you know, they're ahead of us in a lot of ways. And at the same time, you know, we're able to really complement their workforce with professionals who know the cannabis industry who for some reason in the last couple quarters have decided to make a huge exodus to Canada. I don't know why. And we're getting a lot of applicants who, you know, are looking to cross the border to go to these executive level positions at Tweed and Canopy and other um, large uh, corporations that are working in the cannabis industry because it's become such an amazing enormous opportunity to grow um as industry professionals and to be taken quite seriously. Um, you know, I do I feel like in the US there's still quite a bit of uh judgment toward the cannabis industry and our ability to be experts and executive level professionals. So a lot of what we do really at cannabis staff is to help introduce people to our program and ensure that the people that we're putting into positions are not, you know, continuing to, uh, I guess you could say, solidify the stereotypes of being a stoner. Um, we try to have, make sure that all of our uh, executives that we place into positions are executives who are high functioning, positive, always focused and very um, much productive in their own positions and looking at going, you know, higher and in a positive direction.
1: No pun intended, right? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Exactly, I I
2: use that word all the time and it cracks me up because (laughs) people all the way, they're like, yeah, higher.
1: (laughs) So, well, okay, so talking about that and bringing professionals into the cannabis industry, what are some of the issues you are seeing professionals from outside the industry struggle when placed into a cannabis specific role?
3: Yeah. So uh, I think that uh, for a lot of people coming into it, uh, many people don't realize the high level of regulation that actually surrounds the cannabis industry and uh, the degree to which uh, they will need to be uh, compliant with a lot of the different laws. And uh, not only that, I guess, but the hiring requirements uh, of bringing people into it or coming into it, excuse me. Um, and I think there's a learning curve as well, too, uh, in terms of how cannabis is, is done as a business. But uh, the good thing that we see is many of the professionals we actually place into positions are able to bring new skills uh, to businesses that they, have, they haven't actually had before. So that's the, the exciting thing that we're seeing about placing people outside of the industry into it.
1: Awesome. What tips would you have for professionals looking to transition into the cannabis industry? Because personally, I found that, I mean, culture alone, cannabis is a very. There's so much culture behind it—religion, medical, whatever—that it's just. Although we we are obviously striving to be professional and we're growing more and more every day, I've met a lot of professionals that. They can't even, like, three months later, they are so frustrated by the lack of phone calls or people never showing up or the lack of skills that people have. So I'm wondering if you have any tips for people looking to get into the cannabis industry that might make their transition a little easier.
3: Sure, yeah. And that's, you know, unfortunately, one of the growing pains that we see in the industry is that... In many companies, uh, unfortunately, as they've grown, they've noticed deficiencies. Uh, in some of the executives that they have placed into the rules. And yet you're absolutely right. Some of the uh, things that you're saying uh, really resonate with what we hear from hiring authorities in that the people that, unfortunately, uh, the positions they're searching for were places where they had people in the positions that acted, unfortunately, with the typical pothead, you know, Mm -hmm. stereotype. And uh, I think that, of course, you know, I'm I'm a big cannabis user. (laughs) I've been using cannabis for, you know, 25 years now, 26, I guess, I was on my birthday, so 26 years now. And I can say that I have, even though I use and I probably use a significant amount (laughs) that I'm 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 a functioning professional, and I treat my job a as a
2: functioning professional—not yes. <laughs> not
3: just a functioning professional, but a, a high functioning professional. Not again, no pun intended on that, but but a high, a high functioning professional where I take what I do very seriously and I and I treat it as a serious thing. And I think that for tips for people getting into the industry, it is you're right, absolutely. Number one, you are going to be dealing with people. That potentially have some
1: uh, short term memory loss.
3: <laughs> short term memory loss issues or, or they
1: need to be using a calendar. Right. A and using different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, lack of formal business experience, um, professionality, definitely. Yeah.
2: Yes. I recommend uh Travis and I actually have some uh different types of, you know, business communications. Um, programs that we use with uh, more junior executives or someone who might be a cultivator that's never worked in the candidate sector before, but they're wanting to build a profile and build a resume. And so we do try to help uh, candidates when they come to us and maybe they don't have the polished resume or the polished skills set. do take in um, you know, to take on one of these more corporate type positions, um, but we don't stop there. We really try to work with the candidates to help understand where they can fit, and then we go out and we help find them a position, so it's very much two-sided um, on the part of uh, Travis or myself or one of our talent acquisition managers working with the candidate, finding out where they shine, and then looking at exactly what's available in their region, sorry, I'm losing my voice, Um, but also, you know, working with them together uh, to build something that is sustainable for their life. That's really what was my driving passion and Travis's as well when we we started Cannabis Staff was that we've worked as consultants in cannabis for so long, 98% of what we did, the problems that a bad employee had created at businesses, that was what we did. And we realized, well, the root of the problem here is that people that are unprofessional and unqualified are being put into positions because they know the right person or because the recruiter completely lied or did not check the, ref- the references or the work references um, and, you know, put someone through that should not have been put through. And unfortunately, that happens so often. And it not only damages the candidates that it's put through for a position that they're not qualified for, it's in fact, damages the business for many quarters. And so we realized that this was a problem that we could easily fix because of our experience in staffing and recruiting. And also, um, for the past 10 and a half years, I've worked um, very much uh, underground, if you will, as an applicant myself, going in. Applying for positions, working with recruiters, just to show the corporation that their recruiter was not doing the job that they said they were doing. Because I got offered a job that I'm not qualified for because I interview very well. That's wow. a lot of. Um, yeah, yeah, that's wow. that's a lot of how that's that's a lot of our secret sauce actually. But not a lot of recruiters can. Uh, interview well so I'm lucky
0: and that's really interesting so (laughs) a few questions just to elaborate on that and one's just an observation it just seems that you know Chris and I were just talking about the similarities of this industry to the tech industry and just also the credibility of candidates and professionals and what is considered an expert and how much of a due diligence is actually being done to validate somebody's expertise and skill set because it seems like what you guys just mentioned that you know the moment that somebody's placed and does not have the expertise to do that function well essentially it's really gonna hit the company so for you what drives companies to reach out to you guys instead of like listing jobs online or in other mediums
3: absolutely well you know, first off, using a uh, recruiter, and we're a uh, retained executive search uh, firm ourselves. Uh, it's it's actually more cost effective uh, overall than. Searching yourself, because first off, you have to realize that the person that's actually searching it, and most cannabis companies don't have an internal HR person, Mm -hmm. uh, but searching yourself is taking away from the ability to actually do your job correctly. And not only that, but unfortunately, they're placing ads on job boards, you're going to get job board applicants. And those are the type of people that typically we aren't actually getting. We're actually getting people uh, that they normally wouldn't have access to. So people that are above average performers in their current position, and people that are looking to move to make a career change, not someone that was underperforming and, you know, got let go, but someone that you actually is is someone that would be really desirable if you could get them to to move for your opportunity. So uh, those are some of the reasons why they would use a couple of other reasons. Obviously, uh, confidentiality uh, for the employer that's actually looking to hire uh, many companies, Of course, when you're looking at cannabis, and when you put ads out on job boards, you're going to be flooded with applications. We see... Up to
2: 2,000 per listing, and often more than that in some areas. Absolutely, and and
3: going through that amount of applicants and, and trying to figure out who is qualified, who isn't qualified, uh, that's really time consuming and, and looking at uh, trying to hire out of that pool of applicants uh, for uh, any sort of company is really daunting. So we break it down and we actually go out and we find the people that fit the requirements that the company is looking for. And we find that person, and we find interested people that are that we've actually already done background checks on. We've checked their references. Uh, once, of course, they get to the the candidate stage, if the company's really serious about hiring them, then we'll go that far. Uh, of course, we offer we offer background checks and uh, you know things like that, like uh, like a typical recruiter would. But. Uh, We have
2: a research team for higher echelon positions um, for executive level, uh, C-level positions and also board candidate positions and medical positions um, just to ensure that the people that we are putting through are industry professionals, that they operate in a, you know, authentic and transparent way, that we're not putting someone through that's going to, you know, get them audited automatically because it's such a horrible track record or, Someone that might have such terrible credit, you know, that they can't even get a corporate credit card. Um, You know, unfortunately, that is something that we see. And oftentimes, hiring authorities do not want to approach those subjects with their candidates because it can be oftentimes very uncomfortable. Um, But Travis and I and our talent acquisition managers all have a really friendly approach, and I think that that is something Um, that really is core to our culture. We really are interested in the deeper uh, relationship, not just finding someone a job and turning around and finding another person a job. Uh, It's not about finding people jobs. It's really about helping people understand their skill set and shining, you know, in their own authentic way of who they are. That's really important to me as, um, you know, a, a Person, just individually,
1: I want people to be authentic. So I'm not totally familiar with how recruiting works, but does the company come to you and you find the candidate or do you have a bevy of candidates that you've already gone through and, you know, done the background check and everything? And then you just have a stable of candidates you could pull from when a company comes to you. Like, how do you know both, when a company uh, both. would do it?
3: Yeah, both, in fact. Uh, so we are always networking. We are always uh, getting to know more and more people every day. Uh, of course, we have a multitude of people uh, that reach out <laughs> on
2: Multiple networks
3: on an hourly basis, minute by minute basis. It seems like uh, who
2: are also really incredible um, inbound marketing engines just throughout um, the industry that helps us track more leads. Sorry to interrupt, Travis, but uh, yeah, that's a big part of what we do during the day: um, working on inbound leads. Can you talk to Yeah, us? but we...
0: Oh, go ahead, Travis. Sure, but, but we...
2: Yeah, of course. But we are uh,
3: typically approached by businesses uh, that, would, that are searching for uh, particular positions, and then we get uh, requisitions from them, uh, and at that point, essentially, we look through uh, our extensive network, uh, see if there are suitable candidates that we know that are actually actively looking for positions, or that would fit that skill set, and we will go and approach those people. Uh, if we don't have uh, completely suitable candidates, of course, we we find those candidates.
1: <laughs> so when it comes to the companies that you work with, would you say they're the type of companies that bring in at least a million in annual revenue? Are they, In my opinion, or in my estimation, they would be larger companies, companies that value outside services, such as recruiting firms, because they know better. How large
3: is Absolutely. The I would say them. probably the smallest we probably work with is maybe $10 million, 10 million in sales. Yeah. I think that's probably a good estimate.
0: Yeah, oh, okay. that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. And just for those people who don't understand, can you talk to us a little bit about what's the cost if you don't hire a good employee? Like, it, you know, you mentioned it a little bit at the very beginning. Of, yeah. You know, how it can significantly hinder operations in a business, but can you elaborate a little bit on that? Definitely. I
2: have personally seen uh, businesses that have hired and equipped uh, industry experts um, someone that you know we would all see as being you know a leader in the field on social media um, I don't consider that to be a gold standard I think that you should really do a little bit of homework before you hire someone and understand who they are I do not believe in uh, quick fire Uh, or quick hire um, scenarios because they can be very dangerous. Um, I always recommend, you know, at least a two to three week interview uh, process because in that two to three weeks you're able to really evaluate uh, the individual that you're offering the position to. And in that, you want to ensure that the person going into an executive position who's going to have access to multiple shareholders your vendor list, your proprietary information. If the person that you're hiring is not telling you the truth in the beginning, who is to say that three months down the road when they're not performing, they're not going to take your list and all of your proprietary secrets over to a competitor? And that has happened so many times, and it's devastating for a lot of these new startups. So when Travis was talking about the uh, ROI that you have in working with a recruiter or an executive search firm, there is an instant um, ROI equation that we actually are able to offer, uh, which has a value that um, really does carry through, um, you know, to the end of your you know bottom line number, um, which. Can be the difference of hiring you know someone who is a performer someone who's you know showing up and innovative passionate really wants to be a part of their position or someone who lied on their application is going to keep their head down because people that keep their head down don't get, you know, their resume pulled up by HR. And, you know, they're just milking their time and they're not even performing. So, you know, oftentimes that's why I recommend using a recruiter is just to avoid that entire scenario. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. This, uh, yeah,
0: I mean, and of course,
3: you know, looking at the numbers of it, as well, it's like they estimate that on average it costs a company between like I think it's six to nine months of salary to train a new employee. Uh, because of training and and additional hiring costs as well.
0: Yeah, and I mean, also just that 90-day trial period, it's so important actually when they've been hired just to make sure that it's a good fit as well as, you know, performance reviews in the company to make sure that, okay, if there is any low-hanging fruit, uh, just to make sure that everybody's evaluated. What's the health, like, what's the health attrition rate in the industry? Uh, Let's see, Travis. What's the
3: what's what's the attrition rate? Right now? Sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't hear the question.
0: Oh, what's a healthy attrition rate uh, in the cannabis industry? Like
1: in comparison to the tech industry, I'm uh, so. For example, we do operational assessments with companies, and we will ask, "What's your employee churn rate?" And a lot of times. They don't even have one. A lot of times they just hold on to people. And in California especially, your employees are your biggest risk to your company. And I think mm-hmm. that that's one and of the And your biggest things. asset. Yeah, asset and risk. And a lot of times companies don't know how to let go of people that are underperforming or people that are bringing down the morale in the rest of the company. So I'm wondering, what do you think is a healthy attrition rate that – is more normal where they actually keep people that perform and let people that are not performing go.
3: Sure. Yeah. And, you know, what you're saying is, is really kind of the, the growing challenges I think in the, in the industry is that, and that's kind of what we're, we've, we've been seeing, you know, third and fourth quarter last year and kind of the, what. A lot of companies uh, that we're talking to uh, are seeing as well, too, is that there are uh, a lot of companies that have, as you say, hung on to underperforming employees uh, that they need to let go of, but they don't. As far as an attrition rate, uh, I don't know. I mean – I don't really ever like to give companies numbers that say, you know, what is and what isn't healthy. Uh, if you're talking about, you know, of course, lower level positions uh, in terms of turnover, I think in every industry across the board, you're going to get high turnover in those positions. I'm talking about just yeah. level positions and, yeah. and, you know, trimmer, trimmer positions and, you know, lower level positions in the industry that uh, you're always going to have people that are going to be uh, maybe, Unreliable, but that—I don't think that only is for the cannabis industry, but that extends, I think, into retail and any other organization like that. Um, but I, as far as what's healthy for a company, uh, the challenge is again in terms of a growing industry like like we're experiencing now is that uh, these are questions that a lot of companies have to look at themselves and really uh, take a lot of stock of because the challenges in a startup industry is that a lot of these people have grown with the company and they, really feel a lot like family at this point yeah and i think that that's uh the really hard thing for a lot of companies is to really look at what's happening and say you know at the bottom line unfortunately as much as i don't want to say it i'm still running a business and i have to do things and we have to make decisions that are going to be in the best uh, the best interest of of making our business successful instead of you know well, I guess I'm performing that word, i performing a big still, admit. But I think that that is, uh, really the thing that we're seeing a lot that companies are really kind of getting to that breaking point right now. Yeah.
0: And then before we transition to the next section, one other question that I've got is, you know, of the companies that you're working with, how many are, you know, plant like have succession planning as a process in place that they're really planning for the succession of their executives if they are to leave and who would, you know, assume those roles? Do you guys can you give us like a number of like a percentage of what companies are doing succession planning?
3: uh we have not seen that too much only at the real top levels and when i talk about the real top levels i'm saying large multinationals that are that are used to doing uh business in that manner but okay. in terms of some of the companies we're working with that uh you know are 10 million or so uh i can say that some of those are family owned uh, many of them actually i can say that that we deal with uh, probably in that range are going to be some sort of, you know, close relationship between between the ownership of it, and um, and actually, and I'll be honest. In some of those roles, I know of executives that are actually looking for other positions, and they don't have a succession plan uh, in place. Uh, in terms of replacing those executives already, so uh, obviously you know the particular people I'm talking about are are confidentially looking for other positions, but they uh, are in situations where you know they aren't really thinking about the company's needs but more you know their personal career growth.
1: I think also I found that the longer an employee might be with a company and they are promoted to management based on tenure, but no one's ever given any sort of management training where they're equipped to develop their own management style so that their coworkers respect them. They and they're able to run things better with better communication and I found personally, I took a lot of classes on management. Nobody taught me that. And I don't really see that happening in companies either, where they actually have management
0: training. And that's cannabis and not cannabis. I mean, even from my experience, it's like people get promoted based off of, you know, their expertise. And, you know, I'm super analytical looking at numbers and imagine all these nerds that are doing great analysis and, boom, get promoted and really are lacking those people and managerial skills. Yeah, Good the point. Soft skills.
1: Yeah. Soft skills.
3: Skills are important. Yeah, sorry. If you don't mind if I comment on that, it's you know it's absolutely true what you're saying, and and you know as I as I stated before, it's kind of you know one of the I think you know fortunate and unfortunate things that we're seeing in the industry right now. I mean, look, I've, I've like I said before, you know, I've I've been around cannabis since I was, you know, in my mid-teens. And it's something that I've always really had as a part of my life, it, to one extent or another. Obviously, you know, I grew up, my parents are not about cannabis. <laughs> but I was introduced to cannabis for all my siblings, but, but my parents are not, are not about cannabis. Even now, uh, talking to my parents about it, it's not something that they're really that, particularly open to, but, you know, it's, it's always been something that has been a part of me as a person because of my personal enjoyment of cannabis. You know, I don't, I don't actually have any sort of medical issues personally. I've always been a recreational user, but it's something that We're seeing, unfortunately, a change that's happening because cannabis is becoming an industry now. And with cannabis becoming an industry, unfortunately, you have to have industry industry professionals and professionals that can come into it that can actually push the needle for it to get where it wants to go. And if that doesn't happen, then unfortunately, the doomsday scenario that everyone thinks of cannabis being overtaken by large corporations could potentially happen because of regular companies not evolving with a changing marketplace. And as much as I want to continue with, you know, cannabis culture and society, I love all of it. (laughs) I really do. It's unfortunately, as cannabis moves towards the business, And is changed to a business model. It's one of the things that cannabis as an industry has to evolve with as well.
1: Yep, it's time to grill up. Yep, yep.
0: So, if you guys want, we just got um, a little bit of time left, but we really wanted to talk to you about your company and you know, understanding a little bit about your team and your company culture, your and your growth plan. Great. Well, we uh,
2: are really excited. We have some pretty awesome people that we just brought on board um, the first part of this quarter who are being trained right now to be talent acquisition managers, and they come from all walks of recruiting and staffing. Uh, However, we do have a set of core values. We're trying to uphold, and I really find it extremely important to have everyone operating on the same level, you know, as a crew and as a tribe, you know, within our company work culture. And so... Uh, Since we all work remotely, uh, we do have weekly meetings that are, you know, centered on the Google um, forum. We use a lot of uh, apps which help us, you know, remain in constant contact, which I really enjoy. Uh, As a work culture, we will be encouraging everybody to, you know, have communication outside of work if they want to, you know, do a virtual happy hour or, you know, in different regions. Um, We're planning on having yearly uh, in-person group meetings um, to just help kind of encourage people to, you know, continue to grow, you know, within their networks. And what I really have found with creating remote-based startups, the one thing that I think is lacking is work culture. And so that's been the key point for us Um, just these last few months is defining what that work culture will be. Um, We have decided to not focus as much on software development um which is why we're focusing on staffing and so that's been a really large um, piece of our day that we've been able to dedicate toward just creating an amazing work experience for everybody and and that includes having awesome software solutions uh, travis and i have both worked for software companies in the past and we love technology like we're technology nerds and we love business technology solutions and so oftentimes we're trying to you know put together all-in-one solutions for our our own purposes that will help everyone Um, and oftentimes that helps us with a lot of our business relationships because uh, a lot of business owners are also in the on the hunt for different types of business solutions so it's It's a win-win for everyone, you know, that we're constantly changing our, you know, um, software applications. We're always innovating, and I think that that will continue for years to come. Uh, I really love month-to-month software as a service. It's a great way to, I think, run a scalable, nimble startup.
0: Yeah. We love Calendly, Asana, Um, Slack
1: a little bit for communication. MailChimp, Google Drive. As you, as we all know, we're all friends on LinkedIn, and I've been like incredibly impressed with your marketing strategy. I, as me and Simone we're consultants, we aren't salespeople, so we've really just been studying business strategy and consulting strategy and getting ourselves out there. And I see you as a great example of someone who just keeps putting out like good looking posts, good looking content that is very simple that, and you're attract, I mean, it seems like in the past three or four months that you've been operating that you're already killing it. And that's so awesome. And I'm wondering if you could share any tips um, for people out there like us and other people, like how, what's the key to your social media marketing content strategy? Travis is literally putting something over my mouth right
2: now. <laughs> uh, I so it's funny that you say that. So I have had my hand slapped by probably twenty five corporate Fortune five hundred CMOs in my lifetime for creating unapproved corporate stock images, corporate slide decks. Uh, subdomains because their website sucked so much that I would send my customers to my own website that I created for the That's Fortune hilarious. 500 company that <laughs> I was working for awesome. it was because I was like, this is not okay. But um, yeah, I I really love, I love marketing and advertising. Like it's this true hobby of mine. Like someone would be riding a horse. I love to work in Adobe and I love playing around and making images. And so it's been hugely beneficial being a startup. We actually just retained a a marketing firm. Um, at the beginning of the quarter, uh, because I'm Jeff- too Jessica much time. was very upset about
3: that. Actually. I actually was, actually was sad. A-
2: I had to give them all of our information, and they already messed up our website. I'm not kidding; it's already broken. So, but yeah, they took away my keys to the creative office. Believe it or not. That's so funny. if we dip down, tell me if our stuff starts sucking, and <laughs> I'll be the first to step on
3: board. <laughs> but I, that for us, the one thing that we do, and I'll, I will say, uh, in terms of marketing, is that you know obviously uh, we collaborate on various ideas about uh, how we want to present ourselves, and we have a general understanding of you know who we are as a company and what our message is as well. Too, and I think the main point and the main key for us is that we really try to keep it no, simple. <coughs> me, we really try to keep it simple. And uh, to you know let I think the, the main idea is to, to be for us to be engaging and to keep things simple. And the best way that we can do that is is by you know making graphics that are engaging and you know things that make people want to you know reach out to us. Which I guess has been relatively successful so far. I it
1: seems. Do you guys use other social media platforms besides LinkedIn? Or do you have success using other platforms? Yeah, we interviewed a while back um, somebody on social media strategy, and
0: one of the most insightful things that I learned was the fact that each of these platforms really has a different audience. And like to be successful, you can't just have one post and post on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Like that's a very different audience. Do you do you guys agree with that?
3: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm
2: not sure if I agree <laughs> with that necessarily. I,
3: I agree with you. We we have, uh, and this is one of the things that uh, our marketing team, I believe, is going to uh, be addressing as well, too. Uh, but reaching out to other social media platforms, we have before, we've gotten – uh, yeah, differing candidates from when we've used uh, Twitter compared to LinkedIn. Or, we
2: do use Twitter uh, every we
3: day. Use Facebook as well, too, and, and advertise on Facebook as well. And, and uh, yeah, there, we, we do get a different candidates. But I think that really for the types of candidates that we're looking for, most of the people that we're really searching for are on LinkedIn. Yeah.
2: yeah. And the most important thing, I think, when you're marketing your company on social media <laughs> – truthfully, is consistency and persistence, because you're only as good as your last post. And so if that post was 20 days ago, the algorithms don't even care about you anymore. Like, they literally do not care, and they won't even remember you. And 20 days ago is like a lifetime, you know, in terms of um, Internet activity, and so your post is buried, Uh, so posting consistently and often, I think, is a really good tip. But also to keeping to keep your message fresh and being in touch with your audience is very important. So a lot of market research, um, I believe, is needed. Travis and I uh, did a lot of sales market research for probably two and a half years. Um, before we officially launched cannabis staff. and it was because we wanted to make sure that when we did go to market that we had the I call it I call it earning the right. And I really wanted to earn the right with my peers to be able to talk with them about their personal life and what they're really facing. And I felt that, entering, um, you know, LinkedIn is a good example, entering uh, LinkedIn as a recruiter and having this idea that, you know, I'm helping all these people find jobs. Really, they're helping me feed my family. (laughs) And so at the end of the day, um, I feel like it's, you know, such a service that we have to offer. And if I can, you know, continuously be um, putting out a message that's positive um, you know, but that is inviting, that makes people feel comfortable with me, then I think that that's the best thing that I can possibly do. And uh, yeah, Travis is actually the editor and chief of everything that comes out of this place. So he's the final say on everything. Um, like as far as grammar goes. He's a grammar Nazi. Oh, like grammar Nazi. Don't hold
3: Don't hold me to that because sometimes things go up without my editorial Uh-oh, approval.
2: Not anymore. Not, not now that we've hired this creative team.
1: <laughs> yeah, I just I think that you guys and Jesse, I mean we've never met but I feel like I already know you and we see each other's posts every day and I mean, you've really, like, positioned yourself, like, awesome. You come across exactly what you're going for, and I think that that's an awesome strategy people should keep in mind. Definitely consistency. And for myself, I feel like I have a responsibility with my curation of articles that I'm going to share with people, and I feel like that's what you've done as well, is you've stuck to a specific... Type of person, you know, yeah. and who you're looking for, and what you're targeting, and you've done really well at defining that for others. And not only that, but I think that when me. you when you go into business,
0: yeah. You yeah. go into business to help. And, let, and it's clear, like
3: let me Jess- say as well, too, that you know that I've Jessica's given me a lot of a lot of you know probably undeserved praise in this conversation here today but uh when i come down to it honestly she is the uh the driving force be- behind anything that happens here uh, at cannabis staff and That's she true. It is true and I, yeah. I see her working every single day uh, and i've seen her work tirelessly over the last number of years uh, in the cannabis industry, and uh, the ups and the downs, uh, all of that has as a part of it. And she has never lost her uh, determination and enthusiasm uh, towards this industry, and she is. I mean, a very, very tireless worker. She will probably outwork the three of us. I don't, well, I can't say that for actually the two of you on this call. <laughs> Most people I can, uh, but uh, she would easily outwork any of us because she is so passionate about uh, cannabis in general. I don't know if you know but she, and she hasn't mentioned on the call, but uh, you know, her brother uh, is a very big cannabis patient as well too, and has been a grower for a long time. Uh, And it kind of opened uh, up her eyes many, many, many years ago now to the possibility of medical cannabis. And she's very passionate about that. And, yeah, really, uh, any sort of success that uh, comes out of this company is really all good to her.
2: Not exactly. It's 50 50 for sure. Uh, He puts up with my crazy. He does. If I didn't have him like making sure that I was eating and sleeping and going to bed (laughs) and, you know, not totally crazy manic all the time. Like Travis is a lifesaver, seriously. And he's extremely um, brilliant. He's he's actually is Mensa level intelligence. So sometimes I I literally have him, um, you know, engage on every single call because he offers something, you know, for every uh, situation and scenario. He has a plan B and a plan C um, ready to go. So I love
1: that. Yeah, you guys are doing really well, from yeah. what I can see. Good job. Yeah.
2: Quite the dynamic yeah. duo. You guys are so nice. You guys as well. It's been such yeah, a nice. pleasure to work with both of you, and I really can't wait until we can all be together in person and enjoy each other's company and fellowship, you know, in a more uh, real way. But this is just as good, in my opinion, as fun. Yeah,
0: absolutely. absolutely. Just a few more questions for the speed round. Are you guys ready? Definitely. Yes. Okay. If someone's getting into the industry, what what's something that they should know?
3: Be yourself. I think over anything else, don't yeah. be yourself and uh, come into it with uh, an air of flexibility and the ability to change very quickly because that's the industry you're entering into.
2: That's oh. for sure. You know, earlier when I mentioned that I had light on applications to get positions, um, and, you know, I'd walk into that CEO's office to reveal to them, you know, that I'm an imposter <laughs> <laughs> like and that I'm still a good person. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, and the thing is, is that feeling of being an imposter, it's a real feeling. And I can't imagine somebody living with that. Every day, because me just working at a corporation and knowing that that was my intention, I felt horrific. I felt like every day somebody was going to really Google me and find out that I do this and that this is how, you know, I get into companies. And I was just like always. Speaking, they're going to figure this out. Like I, I always impact their bottom line. Like they always, you know, obviously it ends up really well for them. Uh, however, there was one situation where they were very angry and they really did not appreciate it at all. And I, you know, in turn, wanted them to understand, you know, you just spent, you know, for each uh, for each hire, you're spending, you know, quite a bit of money to make sure that the person that you're putting through is a really good candidate. And I definitely know that 90% of recruiters are not doing their due diligence and they're putting people through without checking any references. And I think that that's something that needs to be drawn uh, into the light and understood um, by every single hiring authority um, because it's something that's prevalent in this um, industry, definitely. And we are not about that. It at seems all. Because like, I think that that feeling of living a lie is terrible.
1: Yeah, and it seems like that's kind of the point of getting a recruiter to send you applicants is so that you don't get imposters past. That you've got the cream of the cream. The cream
2: yeah. of yeah. the cream. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. You do want to make sure that even your recruiters are reputable too, that you're working with. I think that that's something that a lot of people automatically think that you know, because it's a recruiting agency, because they have, you know, some good reviews that they're a great recruiter. And in fact, you know, a lot of reviews online aren't always what they seem. They have their own, you know, people working for them, posting positive reviews. And so I always give people, you know, a tip to, and even with us, you know, to ask for multiple references and to ask for, um, you know, someone that has worked with them on both sides, because you really want to know, who you're working with and how they're going to impact your business you know in the quarters to come because engaging a recruiter should only be a positive impact it should never be a negative one
1: that's very excellent advice um well we really enjoyed having you guys on the show today um and how can our listeners find out more about what you guys have to offer
3: yeah, definitely. They can either connect with myself or Jesse on LinkedIn. Uh, we're very accessible on there. Uh, as well, of course, you can visit us online at uh ones one fcom dot com. Okay. And uh, yeah, we look forward to hearing from anybody.
0: All right, thank you guys yes, so, thank you much. so
1: much. Yes, thank you for coming on.
0: Thank you for listening to part two of the show and joining Kristen and me today. If you have any questions that you'd like us to answer or just to ask in general, please join our LinkedIn group, Cannabis Business Minds, and ask us there. Until next week.